Boom. Hello. 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 How is everybody? How are all of you? How? I'm fine. I'm fine. I am fine. I am fine. I don't want to be this fine. I am so fine. It makes me fucking sick. I am fine. I feel so sick. Okay. Uh, I'm so fine. I don't even want to be this fine. I'm so fine. I'm worried about, uh, I'm worried uh, about my welfare. <laughs> so fucking fine that I, 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 I'm, I'm truly nervous about what I might do to my fine old self. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a good start. There we go. Uh, today we are going to be talking about God and myths and tumours and silence and the denial of death and what other books I, uh, 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 well, you know, what other books I happen to have at hand. Uh, we'll start with silence. And there was a minute of silence today. This is a good day to do silence. It's a good day. I breathed right. I mean, I did not breathe through it. I kind of uh, uh, barreled through the, the the silence today's silence because I was unaware that it was going on, and I was recording my. I was doing an audio journal. I've been journaling, diarist, a diarist, uh, and and a, a note taker, diligent note taker. Since I was young, since I was seven years old. And lately, like for a long time, the past few years, my notes have mainly been stand-up comedy notes. Uh, I want to get back into actually creating a record of my life. So it feels like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bits that get snagged on the twig and, and taken away by the slipstream of time. Stuff's getting lost, you know, because there's a stand-up comedy notes aren't an accurate representation of your your wants and needs and thoughts and feelings. They're just, just stupid shit that will hopefully it's very very funny, very limiting sometimes being a comedian. That's why you have to do stuff outside of it, be a hyphenated, multi-hyphenate comedian slash writer, not slash hyphenate. Hi, comedian hyphen writer hyphen diarrhea wrist so and other people who were diligent diarists and journalists journal makers uh were the the puritans who actually talked about in the last episode on it last one yet so michael wigglesworth author of the best-selling poem the day of doom was allergic to merriment while teaching at Harvard in the 1650s, according to historian Edmund S. Morgan, he suffered the most innocuous pranks of his uh, of his students with a ludicrous air of mourning. So students would like pop a potato in his hood. They'd like they'd they'd bung a potato in there, laugh it up, um, and then he would go like he would get them all to 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 sit and have a minute silence. And mourn the loss of their innocence. Because now they've entered the brutal world, the sadistic, cutthroat world of prank wars. They're punking each other now in the 1650s. They're, 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 guilt, they're getting punked. They're punked out. They're huffing the punked. Getting huffed and punked. Fucked and punked. Because 
they're, they're you know they're they're, they're they're bored teenagers they're bored teenagers they have a, a surfate of uh, potatoes and it's a it's a mix it was what it was was a mix of uh having too many potatoes and um a kind of spark of genius a spark of genius and the 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 presence of a hood one of the guys decided that the only logical thing to do in this situation is to pop potato in hood and this michael wigglesworth i want to i'm just going to won't be set I'm about to re-record. Ah, fucking annoying. Sorry. Um, yeah, they're arguing down there. I've had to re-record this. Like, I started restart it about five or six times, and I am up to. I am up to here. I'm up to here. We'll get into tumors next because I'm going to get a stress-induced tumor. Um, and this Wigglesworth, he. But he was also prey to normal irritations and fears. He was a twitchy hypochondriac. A neighbour's swinging door bugged him and he sulked that nobody missed him when he went on holiday to Bermuda, a trip that gave him constipation. <laughs> Sounds like me. I, get, I am so, like, the sounds. Sounds drive me fucking mad. I'm so oversensitive to surrounding noise and you can't you can't uh you can't kind of like, like manipulate the world around you to prevent the the, the, the you know the, the fucking uh raw the the raw nerve kind of jolt through your body when you hear a stray noise that just will that is just relentless Yeah, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate noise. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, and the reason we know all this about Wigglesworth is he kept a diary where he confessed things we might not admit even to ourselves. Many Puritans made records of their lives, which, far from being vain indulgences, this is the thing, were scribal acts of contrition, reflexive aids. To contemplation. Wigglesworth wasn't being falsely modest when he called himself a poor, sinful worm. <laughs> yeah, boy. A recurring motif within these podcasts. So I'm going to write uh, far from being able to scribal acts. Poor, sinful worm. Just like you and me and everybody else in between. We're all poor, sinful worms in some way. Mm. Um, so we'll get into silence now seeking silence Larry Blake owner of Swelton Labs in New Orleans has supervised the post-production sound for over 50 films including Contagion, The Informant, Syriana Ocean's Eleven Out of Sight and Traffic in trying to find background silence for the Nick Oh, this was a really good series. So a television series set in New York in the early 1900s. So it's set in a hospital 
in New York in the 1900s. And actually, the influence... So the, 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 the influence for the main character, the Doctor, was actually this guy called Dr. William Stuart Halstead, who pioneered... Um, he pioneered a lot of uh, surgeries. And I think he actually at one point did surgery on himself. If I remember rightly. And he's, you know, a massive cokehead. He's a massive cokehead and uh, he was a drug addict and a social isolate. Like me, that's why I probably responded to him. Uh, Plake first tried uh, the, the shooting location itself in the streets of Brooklyn with all traffic silent for a few blocks. That was not still enough. Among the other venues, he went in search of neutral air, void of modern life and insects, the winter swamplands of southern Louisiana. But even there, it was difficult to locate a spot not tainted with the buzz of machinery, an air conditioner, a car engine, a boat, motor, a tractor, a lawnmower. With all the sound editing tricks technology offers, recording the, the kind of silences that surrounded human beings a 100 years ago requires great ingenuity even then it was not so easy in his meditations on quixote published a century ago in 1914 jose ortega gasset recounts the difficulty the impossibility of finding silence where it says there are places which enjoy a wonderful silence which is never absolute silence and all around is completely quiet the noiseless void which remains must be occupied by something. And then we hear the pounding of our own hearts, the throbbing of the blood in our temples, the flow of air which floods into our lungs and then rushes out. All this is disturbing because it has too concrete a meaning. Each heartbeat sounds as if it were to be our last. The following beat, which saves us, always seems to come accidentally and does not guarantee the next one. That is why it is preferable have a silence in which purely decorative, unidentifiable sounds are heard. So let's just give it let's give it a second, okay? So we're gonna give it a silence now. And I'm gonna tell you after what are the sounds I can identify in a silence. Because at the moment it's kind of a rumble. There's a distant A road. The kind of the hum of kind of hum of computers. A very vague hum. Just mm, now my mum's Big fat jowls slapping together downstairs because she's uh, once again 
of my dad are bollocking. Because he's trapped in an interminable marriage. With that fucking woman. <laughs> ah, trying to make her out to be the villain and him the hero. God, typical sexism, mate. Eh? But uh, no, she's just annoyed me tonight. Usually I'm on her side. Um, so, yeah. So, silence. And then there's also uh, the, the unspeakable. So, many are familiar with Theodore Adorno's often quoted injunction in the conclusion of his 1949 essay, Cultural Criticism and Society, that silence is the only fitting aesthetic response to the Holocaust. To, reply, to write poetry after Auschwitz is barbaric. But fewer know Adorno's later enunciation, or at least revision, of his demand that poets should not attempt to speak of the unspeakable. So, like, the, the, the actual horrors of, of Auschwitz, like, nothing... Anything that you 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 use to try and fill that void will always seem like you're 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 trivialising that experience. Nothing will ever match the 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 the, the relentless horror of 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 that. And then that um. And then they recently made that film about what what was that film they made recently about Hitler? Hitler comedy. Jack Rabbits. Jojo Rabbit, that's it really. And then yeah, 50, 60 years later you got Jojo Rabbit. What was Jojo Rabbit even about? I don't Jojo Rabbit. Some people said it was unbelievable, and some people said it was just the worst piece of shit. Didn't it get like a one-star review in The Guardian? But then I heard someone say Jojo Rabbit. Um, so what, what was the plot during the collapse of Nazi Germany in the fictional town of Falkenheim 10 year old Johannes Jojo Betzler joins the Duchess Young Vuk the junior section of the Hitler Youth heavily blah blah blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I'll probably give you a watch uh, um, yeah I mean I, I, I did a bit of in the book recently uh, about Hitler eating a poached pear do you think that's? Do you think that's a, a, a good tribute to the horrors of Auschwitz? I don't know. Or... <clears throat> Remember writing? What was it? Was it short? Oh no, it was in a conversation I had with another comedian where we said, like, I would if, uh, well, if you found out that. Um, uh, all of Auschwitz was uh, Bouncy Castle, <laughs> and that's just something that's been excised uh, from the from the history books. Like a little known little known fact about a uh, little known fact about uh, the concentration camps is it was made of made of bounce, <laughs> made of bounce. It was uh, made of nerf. <laughs> it's, it's not spoken about much. Probably got quite muddy if it was nerf. Bounce, you have to take off your shoes before, and I mean, their, their shoes would have rotted off if you look at the old photos. Quite, quite raggedy. I got to a point, no, I'm just joking, I'm trivializing something that is we know the absolute. I think that's the thing is you, you, you the horror, the horror, the horror of that experience. 
is hard to conceptualize. So it's actually easy to be flippant about it because it's like being it's like being flippant about um it's like being flippant about uh oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 just it's it's in, but the problem is it's still within reach historically. There's people alive today who went through it, so that's where that's that's where that's where it's wrong. That's where it's wrong uh, to to premature to make jokes about it because some of you know the ones the ones of us who are young like myself who is very 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 young you know being a being a being a being a being an 18 year old i uh, i just have no respect that's the thing about being 18 i've got no respect I've got no respect for anyone just doing my doing my twitch stream going my instagram <clears throat> taking photos of my taking photos of uh of uh, of 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 my of <laughs> fucking hell, fucking hell! How could I not? How, how could I call myself a comedian? I couldn't even think of anything. I could have just said fucking bees, taking photos of bees. That would have been enough. Just something to fill the silence, the grating silence. Oh god, I couldn't even think of the word bees. Taking photos of uh, it's always going to say shit or something like that. Taking photos of my big, of my big. Shit with the nice uh, chiaroscuro lighting on my uh, big hot cylinder. <laughs> it always comes back down to shit, man. Always comes back down to that. Yeah, um, uh, the, 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 these are the, the the unguarded moments when a comedian knows knows he has failed. No, he has failed. To fulfil the, the the remit of his of his uh, job role, which is just be funny, be funny, and be bloody quick about it. Not quick wit, not a quick wit, not a quick wit. Come extemporaneous uh, funnies, which means like off the cuff. Extemporaneous spoken or done spoken or done without preparation. I'm not that kind of I'm not that kind of funny. And uh I I I have to um I have to do I have to have pre-prepared stuff. Actually, but I do things on this that can be slightly I mean like <laughs> like amusing, like <laughs> that was amusing. <laughs> ha, potato in the hood. <laughs> amusing. Um also talking about oh yeah oh yeah back to Adorno so, so a revision of what he said about like silence is the only fitting aesthetic response to the holocaust he then went on to say perennial suffering has as much right to expression as a tortured man has to scream hence it may have been wrong to say that after Auschwitz you can no longer write poems I don't think they would have helped. I don't think they would have helped much. I don't think they're a. Uh, I don't think they're a uh, an adequate palliative 
to the unspeakable horrors committed in Auschwitz, and then you fucking bung them a bung them a fucking Cohen, bung them, <laughs> bung them a fucking bung them a fucking limerick, and but he's not wrong. To there once was a there one there once was. No, I'm not going to do it. Uh, but it's not wrong to raise the less cultural question whether after Auschwitz you can go on living, especially whether one who escaped by accident, one who by right should have been killed, may go on living. His mere survival calls for the coldness, the basic principle of bourgeois subjectivity, without which there could have been no Auschwitz. This is the drastic guilt of him who was spared. By way of atonement, he'll be plagued by dreams such as that he is no longer living at all, that he was sent to the ovens in 1944. See, it still seems weird calling them ovens, doesn't it? It's still, that 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 seems... It is too, the, the, the use of the word oven, like it's it's too domestic, isn't it? It's too much of a, uh, it's, it's domestic. The domestic imagery, like send them, send them, like send them to the toasters, like calling them pop tarts, <laughs> calling the people who you know, calling them pop tarts. And that, but that's what I'm saying. It's like it, 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 that is obviously deeply, deeply disrespectful. But I'm saying, but by referring to them as ovens, it it has the the, the same outcome. It sounds just as disrespectful. And his whole existence since has been imaginary, an emanation of the insane wish of a man killed 20 years earlier. I understand Adorno's initial impulse to forbid poetry to the rest of us. I, I get like after there's been, so after any uh, uh, mass atrocity, like after any big event, Or, or, or a world event that seems to have weight to it, that seems to have heft. And you see people post up platitudes and stuff on Twitter uh, just to, to, to fill silence, to fill space. They, they're the kind of, they, 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 they feel uh, compelled to, to, to comment on it in some way attach their commentary to the event in question and and it's always it always comes up short at least until you have the the the, the, the period of allowing allowing it to um allowing it to sink in you have a period where you have to marinate yourself in the the, the blood of the dead before you can actually say something with any any kind of import um so yeah i i, I suppose <clears throat> it has to be a proportionate response the right kind of solemnity or or rage if if that's what it requires or you know you, you have to match uh, the the, the the event in question and 
that's fucking difficult. Let's see if I've said anything. Let's see what my response to going on Twitter. Let's see what my response to like world events. What's the big with George Floyd, I suppose? Oh man, I opened up a can of worms here. I think we all, uh, as 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 kind of white guilt from white guilt terms, I think we all really uh, embarrassed. So we all shat the bed on the, the on the the, uh, the immediate response to to George Floyd. Uh, nothing comes up, thank Christ. Yeah, that's not something I'd like to revisit. It was probably really embarrassing. So the grief and indignation and, yes, unreasoning guilt of the survivor demands acknowledgement and reparation. The laughter of others somewhere else is an affront. Their indifference intolerable. Yeah, so look, it's, it's, it's intolerable. But what, what, how else can you respond to... How else can you respond? So I'll just find a thing quickly where... I talk about this response one sec. Just getting up. Um. So part of me has a morbid fascination with fatality and seeing it helped to put things in perspective. So this was when I went for a stay to actively seek out death on the internet, like beheading videos, shooting rampages, fucking Russian soldiers on their knees next to a ditch, summarily executed with a bullet to the head. Saddam Hussein, you've seen the Saddam Hussein video. You like being hanged and for a moment illuminated by one unbroken ray of light, the deep red blood and the squeal of anguish uh, escaping from like a severed larynx and the ovular hemorrhage that signals the end of it all. May, I don't know, maybe there's a final floating instant as they detach from the world. So in Samuel Beckett, in a book I read about Samuel Beckett, it said... Uh, It said that in, in the theology of Samuel Beckett, John Calder writes, a form of afterlife is invented by Beckett in his plays and occasionally is, is fiction, the unnameable in particular. It is always closely related to the life just lived. The inference that an afterlife is not for long, and this may arise from his knowledge that the mind can continue working for some time after the heart has stopped. Beckett may have been aware of a grisly experiment widely reported by the French press early in the century, in which two murderers agreed that after guillotining their heads, uh, their heads would be put on cushions, and after the guillotining, after they got their heads bunged off, they would be interrogated for as long as their eyelids could respond by blinking to in indicate yes or no. The interrogation went on for several minutes, and short-term memory continuing after death may be construed as a, a, a form of purgatory and I said um, that uh, part of me has a morbid 
fascinating. I mean, there's something indecent about choosing to be a spectator. I understand that, like, of such brutality. I didn't like it, but after watching these videos, I was aware of the impermanence of everything, the finite nature of degradable matter, including human beings. And the thoughts that might have gone through their heads, the soon-to-be-lopped-off heads, or if their heads were lopped off and they retained some kind of uh, consciousness, even after the head had been lopped off, what were they thinking? Probably something along the lines of, uh, I, I, I did not anticipate going out like this. What a turn up. What a turn up. Did you expect this? Did you expect to be parted with your head? <laughs> no, mate. No, me neither, mate. Me neither. I thought I was going to get cancer. Just run of the mill. Run of the mill, meat and potatoes, cancer. That's what I thought I was going to get. But uh, this is this is intense. This is an intense death. And um, uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I mean, if I if I had to have it another way, I would not have picked this. I mean, if I was if I was going to die, I'd I'd want to. If I was going to die, I'd want to get um, I'd want to get uh, like flattened, like flattened. <laughs> want to be flat and used uh, as a, a duck pancake. Or just a normal pancake. Don't like duck. Quite fatty meat. Or I would like to uh, just uh, just just being in a bed surrounded by loved ones. That that will do. So uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, so part of, yeah, I have a morbid yeah, I have a morbid fascination with fatality. Like see, see, see I mean, seeing it help. Like, even though it is indecent choosing to see stuff, it helps to put things in perspective. I'm aware that using someone else's agony as a teachable moment, as an opportunity for personal growth, is pretty disgusting. We have a tendency to use other people as case studies for, say, the perils of addiction, as cautionary tales, or the atrocities perpetrated against the Jewish people. I was and African people to highlight the evils of totalitarianism and imperialism, respectively, that sort of shit. When I've actually, when I die, you can, what you can do, you can pin me up on a bit of plywood and wheel me out during NA meetings. And then they can use me as a drug disposal receptacle, like the knife bins you see outside police stations. So when you go into AA meetings, they always say, if you've got any drugs or drug paraphernalia on you, please uh, you know, deposit outside and, collect it at the end like as if you got pop like pop of like a brick a kilo of coke though like my one of the guys i was in rehab with uh, they said when he turned up two years prior to actually when i was in rehab with him and they said like when i need help mate like when they were like we can help you like you you know you can we can help you like this you're here you're here that's the first step towards recovery you're here you know you've turned up you're asking for help it's a great first step. He went, yeah, but what do I do with this? And pulled out like a brick of Coke. And they went, okay, we're going to pretend we didn't see that, get rid of that, and then come back. Uh, and they didn't see him again for another two years. <laughs> and he, then he was ready to do it proper. He was ready to do it right. And that's when I was in with him. Lovely bloke. Really, 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 really bonded with him. Gave me a free Gucci tracksuit as well. That's what you need to do when you can feel someone's on the cusp of like 
a big gesture, like a big uh, gesture of like self-abnegation, like I'm going, I'm going to give away all my belongings. That's when you need to sidle up next to them, and uh, in 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 the in in the slipstream of their charity, uh, grab yourself a couple of little goodies, like a like a Gucci tracksuit, which he did give to me uh, for free. So yeah, but I mean, you know, so much for affording death the solemnity it deserves. Um, but when you're contemplating such stark metaphysical suffering, like what else can you do with it? Is it any more disrespectful than social media influencers or online commentators who harness the momentum like we were talking about earlier, the momentum of national outpourings after, say, the murder of a young woman, which happened recently, to raise their public profile? Who posts that earnest, like, let's be real for a minute, man. Fucking sleeves rolled up. Let's be real for a minute. Show my forearms. Show my forearms, man. My forearms are out there. Which means I'm being real for a minute. And then it's a video addressing their complicity in patriarchal violence. Brazen, transparent opportunists. Sloughing. Sloughing a bit of cream off the top of a tragedy for themselves. And uh, someone recently told me uh, it, it was actually pronounced I was sloughing. And, and it's actually sloughing. So thank you. Thank you to Daddy Daddy Pods. It was Daddy Pods. Let me double check. Yeah, thank you, Daddy Pods. And... Uh, I mean, I've been, I've been, people could say the same about me. They could say the same, talk about social care. But I've been banging on about this for nearly 10 years. And trust me, no one gave a shit about go, what's going on in care homes before the pandemic. Even now, it's not very sexy as a social justice angle because uh, a lot of the people involved are past their prime, are past the prime. That's why... Um, that's why you, most people want to only donate to uh, to. Uh... <laughs> oh, it's too dark. I was going to say. I was going to say want to donate to uh, 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 <laughs> lovely big tit cancer charities, <laughs> breast cancer charities, because it's got tits. But no, that's fuck no, no, no. I was, I was just going to make a joke, yeah. I was just going to make a joke about people loving tits. Even when they're riddled. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My nan died of breast cancer. Uh, I don't mean... It. Again, it's, 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 it's my reaction. I know it's wrong. It's childish, isn't it? It's petulance. I don't know how to... I don't know how to deal with... with um, uh, I don't know how to deal with being earnest about something, you know? Or I can be earnest. I can be very thoughtful and earnest about stuff, but it, I feel like I need to, you know, just undermine it, just swing in and undermine it, just at the end there. It will, it will sting in the tail. Like I can't, I can't, because it's, I'm just worried about like performative sincerity, which is an oxymoron. I mean, because if it's performative, it's not sincere is it and there is a real kind of vogue at the moment for for that if you're making 
activism one of the prongs of your 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 public profile you, you there's a delicate balancing act i would say uh be very 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 mindful of the of the uh of 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 of, of not using that to kind of uh, not using that for too much personal gain and if you are being very upfront about that dualism about the fact that i'm doing it because i believe in this i believe in this as a cause but at the same time i'm gonna slough a bit of cream off the top also by focusing on the barbarity of like sense of slaughter it's a pr win for isis if we're talking about the beheadings and stuff the expedition of like an end time scenario one of isis's doctrinal goals will be fueled by the heartbreaking and the rage of Western infidels. I suppose a more sensible way of dealing with it. I mean, you could just preserve the dignity of those who have died by not being so offhanded about the circumstances of their demise. Probably a good option. But an intrinsic feature, as I was saying, an intrinsic feature of my personality is resistance to what I'm told is a proper way of responding to death to disease to mental health to wounds etc is petulance on my part but underneath the petulance is like an awareness of the healing potential of a dark comic sensibility fear of death is what will ultimately hinder a life vitality and inner sustainment or a conception of the world that's actually manageable can be achieved can't be achieved if you're always focusing on the futility of well everything if you're always focusing on death and you focus on death you're focusing on how futile how futile this life is always striving towards heroics and the impermanability is it the impermanability impermeability Impermeable. It means you can't break it. I'm not allowed even fluid to pass through. Not the impermeability. The indelibilities, that's it. The indelibility of our time on earth and of our, our, our legacy, leaving a mark that can't be rubbed off with, you know, a bit of a bit of spit and a tissue. And when we realise actually within two generations we're 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 gone. Within two generations our memory is but a vague residue. So then you think what was this all for? But what better way to alleviate fear than to laugh in its face? But uh, I tried that with a burglar. And he ended up stamping my dog to bits. Isn't foolproof. Actually, so, uh, yeah, just as we'll end on this, I'm saying a bit more like I had something like my dog never really got stamped. So in an interview, I was asked, what's your biggest wish? And I replied that my dog processes pain as pleasure so I can boot him around the room until he orgasms. I still don't know why I replied with that. Uh, yeah, loved you all. Goodbye.